This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. I'm back again with my uh, partner, one of my partners from HITS. I got Andy Wyman on here today. We, Andy and I did a show not too long ago where we talked about using expert witnesses. And in the uh, show, Andy mentioned uh, one of the cases that he had just worked on. And we briefly kind of went over talking about single blind, double blind t- training, and uh, whether it's training or testing. We kind of mentioned that and we mentioned in the show that that would be a, a whole podcast in and of itself. So we're back today to, to discuss exactly that. Um, it, there's a lot of Andy uh, and I, uh, especially Andy, gets a lot of questions about um, a few different areas in um, detection dog training and some record keeping questions. And we, we kind of get the same questions. Andy fields a lot of them through his uh, other company, through PackTrack. And uh, we thought this would be a good show to kind of just clear up a couple of things and uh, throw out an opinion that uh, that Andy has that I also share that maybe is a little bit different than maybe what some of of uh, the handles out there are doing, and that's why we you know we have these shows to just pre- present maybe a different idea. So, with that, uh, how are you doing today, Andy? I'm good. I'm good, Jeff. I think you're uh, you're in warm Florida, and I'm in cold Colorado, so I think you're a little luckier <laughs> than than I am. But it is nice down here. It's the best time of the year. Yeah, it's the best time of the year. So I think as I mentioned. Uh, in that last podcast, we talked, we just kind of briefly mentioned, uh, you know, some of the arguments that, that were presented that you defended, you successfully defended the uh, agency against uh, a so-called expert um, and what, what that person had, uh, you know, kind of tried to claim. And these are kind of common arguments that we're seeing a lot of. So um, you and I talked about maybe this would be a good time to do it. So I'll just give you the mic and kind of let you get started and explain Explain the issue and then uh, the stance that you that you you know through you know the the massive amount of experience that you have the stance that you've come up with. All right. Well, the the one I really wanted to hit on because I hear about it in social media. I've heard about it in some other podcasts, and I've got it in this uh, in this from the defense expert here that uh, as it relates to training, there are single blind and double blind training. And I'm really focusing in on the word training when it comes to that because it it kind of, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense to have double-blind training. So first, let's define single and double-blind. Double Essentially, in a nutshell, single-blind would be uh, where you're training and the handler working the dog would not have any idea whether something was present or where it was located if it was present, some target odor of some kind, or even proofing odors or of any kind that we're out. And a double blind, uh, but the trainer would know in single blind, so the person following would know. And in um, double blind, both the trainer and the handler essentially would not have any idea if anything was present or where it was located or anything else about what was going on in the exercise. So you would then walk in and your only thing you could truly evaluate as the trainer in, in that situation is kind of whether or not the dog found it or, or didn't find it. So, so let's see, what is, what is the role of the trainer when you're uh, in working your dog? So when a handler's in deploying their dog in an exercise, the role of the trainer is to make sure 
not whether you throw the toy correctly or not, although it is a possible reason, but uh, also whether or not you're performing it correctly, whether you're, I don't know, covering all the areas, whether your pattern to make sure the dog sniffs everywhere it should is, is, is covered, whether you're doing any kind of behavior that would cause a cue, whether um, you're actually working with the dog at a proper speed or if you're inhibiting the dog from actually working at his potential to find everything in the room, and then whether or not you're reading the behavior change correctly uh, when, it, when it comes in. Lots of different things, all of them outside of the fact of whether the dog does or does not find the odor. Lots of different things that that are going on. So in, in single blind, that's very appropriate. The trainer would know where it is. He could predict based on where it was placed and the air currents in the room, generally where the odor may be found. He could predict whether or not the handler put the dog in the right location, whether his pattern was sufficient, whether the dog reacted appropriately, whether he read the behavior appropriately. All of these things uh, could be done, and yeah. he could provide direct advice on time, direct behavior modification to the handler to then help train the dog at the same time. So timing of how you do things as a handler is important into the dog learning. So the trainer giving the correct advice at the correct time and the handler responding to it can help train the dog uh, appropriately as it goes. So. If you don't know, so going back, so that single blind and the handler and trainer would would know their various roles as it comes to it. In a double blind, um, the handler and trainer would walk into it with none of those abilities. So both the handler and trainer wouldn't know where the training aid is concealed or any proofing items or anything. They wouldn't know the intended purpose or the the goal of the training exercise, what it is you're trying to accomplish because they don't know where anything is or if it's there or not. They would not know if the target odor was found using the proper handling skills, meaning if the dog came in and um, the handler sees the dog come in and just sit down for some reason, if it was a passive response dog or some type of stare or something, yeah. that whatever it is they're trained to do. Um, if it wasn't paying attention or if the behavior change was so slight or if something didn't happen and uh, something they didn't really notice very well and the dog performed just the final response with little to no behavior change, uh, did they notice it? Did they see it? Is the handler rewarding it at the appropriate time? A lot of those things couldn't be really noticed or observed maybe very well. I mean, you could still see the behavior change in a blind, sure. double blind exercise, but it, it wouldn't probably be done as well as, as you could. And then if the target odor was not found, so let's say you go in and you work the dog through an environment and both you and the trainer have no idea where it is or if it's there. Um, to go back now and try and remember, you walk outside the room, you meet up with the person who did hide it or set the exercise up, and you say, well, we found nothing. And now the handler and trainer have to go back in their mind and say, well, where was it? And did we put the dog in the proper area? Did we put the dog uh, where it was, where the odor should have been detected? Yeah. Was it the handler's problem? Was it the dog's problem? What in, was it the environment itself? Um, what kind of corrective action should have been taken at the time that wasn't taken at the time? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, if there should have been a correction given, if there should have been something else going on, none of that. Could yeah, there, have there's been no done training. Effectively. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, quite literally, a blind or double blind exercise, rather, a double blind uh, situation is good for testing. Uh, not critical to testing, but good for testing. But it's it's really kind of flies in the face of what training's all about. Sure. 
and training's all about, you know, doing what you don't do well better. Exactly. And to to do that, you need to and reinforcing at times what you do well um, to make sure you do it, you consistently do it well and continue to do it well. Um, but you know, working on what you don't do as well, some things that may pop up and and that throughout your handling of your dog to improve. And many times that information that the trainer would have at that time and knowing what he knows when he walks in would be much better served for training to know that. So I, I just don't see, and I don't feel there's really a substantive benefit to a double blind training. It just doesn't seem like any training could be done if no one knows where it's at. The, the, the only thing you could really determine potentially is if the, the trainer could see the behavior change or felt that they could see the behavior change. And if the dog found the odor yeah. or not, yeah. I suppose but that's more but, of a testing, not training at that point. Exactly. And and uh, there's so much more to dog training than whether it's found or not found. You know, it's exactly. more about how did you get to that point? Did you train with the proper conditioning model to get the dog to respond reliably? Did you inadvertently train the dog to do something you shouldn't have? Yeah. And And many times that's not known until a problem arises and uh, you know, that's when you have to go back and now try and fix these things. And, and, you know, that's really where we're at with this double blind stuff. So double blind testing is another thing that, that is perfectly okay. There's there, it gets done in many different uh, arenas, many different certification processes are done through double blind and many are done through single blind. There's a, a great study by Dr. Nathan Hall that uh, did a, a study to evaluate if uh, if the dogs were negatively affected or if the outcomes were negatively affected if the uh, if it was a single blind or a double blind certification process or testing process, and essentially he found that there was no statistical difference between somebody who was single blind uh, testing or double blind testing, uh, but he did have a little caveat which makes perfect sense that if your person who's doing the testing, your trainer, your monitor that's walking around while you go through and, and inspect the environment that you're in, if that person doesn't uh, conduct themselves appropriately, they could influence it. So think of this when you're training. If you're the trainer in your group and you are walking around following your guy and uh, your guy's out with his dog hunting through various rooms and a room you don't go in with him and he's in the room and he can tell as the handler you're not in there uh, he's pretty sure there's nothing in that room because <laughs> you're not there watching you know you're not there watching yeah and we've all seen those those certifications where the judge is down there shooting the shit with somebody uh and then at the last minute, they sh everybody shuts up and stand, gets real quiet. You know, so <laughs> exactly this is a clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they all they're doing cars outside, and they all set their chairs up on one side of the car, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that they can, you know, because that's where the odor that's, is. That's a whole that's a whole other subject. A, a a judge yeah, that has so, to sit in a chair, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it's one of those things where you know it, it can influence it. I'm not saying it can't, but if it's done correctly. If the people who are given the certification process or doing the training process isn't uh, following uh, 
adhering to proper training techniques and making sure that they don't influence the dog or the handler in any way, then yeah, it can be influenced. But uh, to be quite honest with you, it's still, I think the training benefit is better served with a single blind or even no blind, uh, depending on, on what you are trying to accomplish in the training. Sure. Uh, the double blind just doesn't seem to be an effective way to train. It is very much an effective way to test. Yeah. So, but it isn't an absolute that it has to be that way. So just want to get that out yeah. there to make sure that we cover all the bases and everybody's interpretation of that. Yeah. Well, hold, hold on. Let's jump back in. I just want to throw something at you. I think I agree with everything you're saying. I'll just be the devil's advocate that I think every once in a while, as a training, if it's set up specifically for training, where you just maybe want to kind of work on, you know, I guess more it's 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 a training slash testing. But the my idea on a training day to throw out on a rare occasion, I've done like a double blind scenario where like we did with a group of handlers and we had a larger arena, and I had set up very very easy to find hides, um, and then presented a you know that. There, you know, we have a threat at the arena, um, break up into teams. So I sent everybody out and then said, if you find something, call back to us and we'll note. So we did it as a scenario-based thing. So it was definitely double blind, but it was done with an idea of, you know, it's for the handlers to work through, you know, can they, you know, not to, not to throw the tennis ball at the bomb today because we did it all very, very scenario. So I guess I just kind of want to throw that out there as a blanket, you know, that double blind for training is not, and I, you certainly understand it's always bad. But there are a few times where maybe you could do it as long as you understand that you're not going to be making the dog the dog any better. I did like that one basically just to give the teams confident that confidence that they could go out and work something and, and then call back correctly. And, so, you know, and I, I, I told him, you know, if you if you're going to mark it, you're probably going to be right. Because I told him it wasn't going to be a super hard hide. But it was so my some idea then it was training on double blind, but it was to build a little bit of confidence in some newer teams that, that you don't need to confirm with me on something you know and my idea there was that should they come back and say hey the dog hit on this area and it wasn't right then we go back and see what it was and extinguish the dog off it in case that happened but it didn't so it was just a matter of 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 using that on a you know like a a very very rare occasion uh just just to kind of uh you know i would i would i could easily be argued that it was a test that day but it was done with the idea to build some confidence so um, I, I just throw that out there. I mean, what do you think of that? I think there's there there is a limited time and space for it, but I think when we see it, it seems to be like the sexy word right now, the double blind training. I think we're on the same page that overall it's not training. Right, and I, I see your point, and I've done it in in different scenarios where just to shake things up and do it a little differently than in training, where you know we give people you know an area and they go in by themselves and they have to make their own decisions essentially. And, um, and I get that. And, and I don't think that it's wrong to do occasionally, but I also want to reinforce that there's not a lot of training getting done. I mean, the dog's working, the handler's doing it, but there's really little uh, improvement other than testing to see if the dog performs correctly and the handler performs correctly. Now I can say that you could put a tweak on that. So what I find a lot when we travel around the country teaching, and you and I have done it in many different places. We were out west just recently uh, last year, and at the end of last year, and and many times people walk into an exercise and hand us their reward toy, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if they want us to throw the toy, we can happily do that. But what does that do to the handler at that point in time? 
So think this through. So I am the handler, Jeff, and I walk into a scenario and I hand you the roar toy and now I'm going to go deploy my dog. I have just, as a handler, absolved myself from any responsibility of deciding whether or not the dog is correct or incorrect. I don't have to make a decision. All I have to do is allow the dog to work, make sure I put him in all the right areas. And if the dog responds, you decide whether he's correct enough, whether he's close enough, whether he's done it the right way, um, you know, all the different factors and whether to throw the toy. So it really takes some of the pressure off of the handler. And depending on what you're working on and training, what your goal, what your focus is, that may absolutely be appropriate. But if you're getting past the reasoning for doing that and you're getting more towards a realistic environment, you may want to let the handler, because ultimately they need to be able to deploy the toy themselves in whatever fashion, whether it's a clicker or whether you're throwing it at the source or whatever you're doing, they need to make the decision themselves that it's done appropriately and then reward like they're supposed to. So even as the trainer in those situations, if you don't take the toy, if you don't take the clicker, if you don't act as the guy where the person finds it and looks to you to say yes or no, tell them going in, they have to make the decision. And, and if you want to catch them beforehand, if it's, a, you know, throwing it or whatever it might be, um, you know, if you want to stop them from doing it, that's fine. You know, I mean, but you're, you're at least getting them to say, yes, I think this is, you know, the dog's correct for these reasons. And, and making a decision. Who knows? Maybe you could have them just say it out loud before they throw it or whatever they could do. But, you know, you just, you don't want to rely on the fact or you don't want the handler to continuously rely on training of handing you the toy and putting you in charge of deciding whether the dog is right or wrong and, and, and taking that responsibility away from them because then it, they won't focus as hard on behavior changes. They won't focus as hard on, you know, what they're doing to get it done because they don't have the responsibility any longer. You do and you know where it's at. So it's real easy for you to make that decision. So you want to try and throw that in there every once in a while and make sure, make sure that's done right. But yeah. I, yeah. When we get, when we do that, what I've noticed when we're trained and we go back to the, the line where you always say, you know, either it, when you ask the handler, is he on something or not? And they start giving you the wishy-washy thing. And you, the line I've, I've lifted from you years ago was either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. It's yes or no. <laughs> and, and it seems like when you have the toy they're more comfortable, maybe yes, maybe no. And it's like, you know, that's not an answer. It's what do you think is going on right now? So I agree that uh, I think there's a time and place for that. But overall, I think it's better to to make the handlers uh, make that decision. And let me just throw in a curveball to you on this question that we, you and I have never really talked about. Say we're out doing a seminar or you're training on training day or something, not on a regular basis, but on for whatever re- weird day, you know, say you've set something up and I'm running along, I've got my, my currency dog out and you've set up some money and something trips my dog's trigger. It's not the hide, it's not currency. Don't know what it is. Before, you know, you and I have made eye contact or whatever, I'm confident enough that, you know, my dog has, uh, you know, changed behavior. Now he's gone to final response and I give him his marker, which is free. He comes right back to me and you tell me, uh, nope, that's not it. I, I know how I feel about it, but you, I think you've seen it too, where handlers think now their dog is broken, you know? So, uh, in my mind, that's not ideal, but it's not the biggest deal in the world. You know, I'll go check the area and it's like, I think sometimes we worry so much about inadvertently 
mark in a behavior, you know, then, you know, I'll go and see what it is, see if it was an odor or maybe it was a cue for me or whatever, but I'll work back through it. You know, I don't want to do it all the time, but it's not the end of the world if that happens. Do you feel that way or is it, are you on a different page? No, I agree. I mean, reiterate that, yeah, you don't really want that to happen and you really want to keep it from happening as best you can. But, you know, if it should happen because you're pushing the handler to make the right decisions and and kind of make those decisions on his own, it might happen occasionally and it will not ruin the dog or ruin the training in any way. Uh, But you do have to go back and analyze what happened. Um, and, And again, the key to having it not be double blind is the fact that if you have a trainer in there that can see you know, why it all happened. Uh, You know, what about that caused the dog to respond or what about it caused the handler to misread what was going on? I mean, was there something in the handling skills or or whatever? Um, And it kind of ties into what the point I'm going to talk about now is kind of ties into the next point we're going to talk about was about calculating percentages. But, um, you know, if a dog sometimes responds at a location that there's no target odor present, um, it it may not have a behavior change. It may just have a, the passive response, the final response. And many times that could be due to a cue. So cues don't influence the behavior change. Cues only really influence the final response. So it's really, I don't want to say impossible, but it's very unlikely, very, very unlikely that a, a cue can cause the dog to have the whole behavior change, right? It can really only have the dog do the final response. So either a stare or a, or a sit or whatever the final response is that you've, you've trained your dog to do could be influenced by a cue. And we know that to be true. We've, we've seen it. We know the science is behind it, that you can do that. And you should guard against that through good training. So if you go back and look at the, the posture and behavior of the handler and, and during that exercise and figure out whether a cue caused it or whatever, then you can set up training to correct it. But if it was double blind and no one has any idea what it, what it was, you can have to hope that in your mind, <laughs> you were able to replay it accurate enough to try and figure it out. Otherwise you have to now create it in a single blind situation and hope that it happens again, in essence, which is horrible and, and hope that it happens again in the same way that you, that it did before. So you can figure out what the problem is and then try and work on correcting it in some fashion. So, you know, you really want to think more about how the exercise was done and how it came to be versus whether or not, the dog did or did not respond and whether he was rewarded correctly or not. I mean, it's all about the process and really the final outcome is great, but the process is what trains the dog, the process in which you condition the dog. So I don't think it's the end of the world. Well, again, it's not the best thing, but um, it can be solved as long as you go back and figure out what caused that to happen. And was it the handler? Was it the dog? Was it the Especially if the dog's, you know, been around for quite a while and he's had, you know, uh, he's had lots and lots of, uh, you know, good solid training with, you know, lots of rewards on just his target odors. You know, I, I, I definitely would am real careful about doing that with the new dog, but it seems like, seems like from my experience, sometimes some of the better handlers I've seen who have really good dogs. And I mean, they're, they're good for a reason because they're doing a lot of things, right. They're the ones sometimes that if the, if the dog seems to, you know, if I shouldn't say the dog, if the team makes a mistake and maybe the dog gets rewarded on something that's not target odor, some of those those handlers what I've seen are the ones who get the most upset and it's like you have the least to worry about your dog is dialed in he's not gonna you know change everything he did just because of an you know inverted problem in training so uh, I just wanted to point that out that uh, I don't I don't think it's the end of the world I obviously I, I guard against it as best I can but it happens sometimes and I'm not gonna 
not going to get too worried about when it does. I'll just, uh, you know, figure out what it was. And then that's what training is all about. Yeah. And you're bound to have it happen again. The more you push the handler to, to make the decision on his own, it could happen. They, they don't hear you say something. You don't see what they're doing quick enough and, and they could inadvertently reward the dog. And you just got to, you know, you got to work through it. And uh, the one time of doing it, very rarely doing it, it isn't going to make the end of the world. Uh, and then you document what you think was the problem and you show that it's been fixed in your documentation and you drive forward in, in the hopes that you can fix the problem. But, um, that, yeah, I, I agree with you. So the next thing we I wanted to talk about um, was calculating percentages of accuracy from, from training records. We get uh, a lot of questions uh, from the PackTrack site of people wanting this to be done, and we've, again, had some experts that have use that as a reason to say they can't figure out or some come to some kind of conclusion of whether the dog is sufficiently accurate enough because they can't calculate the percentage from, from training. And um, I just want to say that it, it seems again, kind of a, a, a two-part argument of why that probably isn't a good way to do this. First off, um, in a nutshell, there's no, statistical analysis and training that's required by any court to say whether or not it's reliable. And in Harris, everybody knows about Florida versus Harris. If uh, they actually came right out and said a statistical analysis or a bright line rule used on deployments at the time would is not the way probable cause is determined. It's determined by a totality of the circumstances. So if they're not going to let you use or let the defense use percentages in proving the dog unreliable, uh, using a percentage as a bright line rule to prove the dog reliable is probably not going to work either. Um, so it, it, if, if someone says that, hey, the court case says you're supposed to do it that way, it, it really doesn't say that at all. Um, so you really don't want to go down that road of trying to think that that's the way it's supposed to be done. But then you want to look at it from um, a human standpoint. If I told you, Jeff, we were coming out to, to Denver and we're going to do some training and uh, your credibility, reliability, and ability to win court cases is based on your training accuracy, your calculation of accuracy in your training records, and I come from Florida to do an exercise with you and I hide something in a very difficult way yeah, that, that makes it really hard for you and your teams to find. And I'm doing it because I'm trying to improve, push you beyond where you are currently at. So I'm taking you beyond your current abilities to try to improve upon what you're doing. And you don't find it for some reason. You're going to be a little upset with me. Yep. And and even though I'm trying to do the right thing, and it's probably the right way to train, unfortunately, it's going to negatively impact your... Because of a statistical analysis of it. Exactly. So knowing that and uh, knowing how, how we train, lots of people are going to look more at, well, you know, we don't want to do that. So let's do training in a way that provides good statistical analysis. So we don't want to push ourselves too hard because we don't want to influence that statistical analysis. So let's just do training in a way that is what we know we do well. And this way, our, our, our statistics, our calculations always come out uh, in a very high number, and that's what the court would be looking for, and we think that's going to prove the point. And it really flies in the face of what training is all about. Training is all about 
pushing yourself beyond what you do well. Training's all about challenging. Yeah. What you're describing is kind of the participation award for dog handlers. You know, everybody, everybody's a winner today, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. So you want to, you know, you're all about challenging, pushing yourself beyond, do things that you don't do well. Uh, and, and of course, when you do that, you know, if, I don't know, give an example, if something high in a room isn't something that you typically find well or do well, and you're trying to improve upon it, so you put things in that position, uh, you're you're statistically going to probably have problems. You're going to not find it. You're going to be way off source. You're going to do things that could potentially be a problem. And that can then affect however your statistics say uh, you're calculating it. Well, however you mark it in your record keeping and it comes up with some statistic, it could negatively impact that. And, it, and the reality is, is it's negatively impacting it, but you're actually doing what you should do to improve yourself. And, um, by calculating statistics and putting that kind of pressure on people, I think people are people and they will tend to go back to what they do well rather than challenging themselves. So, so that's, that's another point. And then another thing that I think pops up is how would you calculate the correct and incorrectness of, of a performance from a dog? And the reason I bring that up is it ties back into our previous conversation about how it's done. So training we just talked about in the single blind and double blind is more about how it was done with a mechanism used to condition the dog, your behavior, the dog's behavior, the way the, the scenario was set up, the way the exercise was created, what the goal of that exercise was for, and then did the dog perform the right behaviors to get to the point of finding it? And, and did the handler do it correctly so that he didn't influence the dog's behavior in any way, and et cetera, et cetera. So if all that is important in training, if you only calculate, hey, my dog found it or didn't find it as a correct or incorrect response, you're you're missing out on what training's all about. I was going to say because now you're back to you're only just you're testing either you're successful or not in the and I don't even successful is not even the right word, but but it's more of a testing. It's not making the dog better and it's not challenging the dog and changing you know, something to make it, to make it a little harder and, and improve the team overall. Right. And then, and then how do you calculate it? So let me give you a scenario. So we talked about queuing a minute ago and, you know, queuing influences that final response. And let's just say, um, you know, you were watching me and I used my dog around the room and I queued him in some fashion to, to have the final response. And it was in a location, there was absolutely no target odor that was there. So we're going to say, wow, that's a problem. We're going to mark that down on a, on a record-keeping system that calculates the statistical analysis, whether it's a piece of paper or an Excel spreadsheet or something computerized, it doesn't matter. We're going to mark that down as incorrect, and that's going to count against us as, as for it. So, so let's say the cue was I stopped and stood. You know, I saw the dog smell extra at something. I stopped and stood with him, and then he took that as a, uh, he's about to throw the toy, so I'm now going to sit down here. He was a passive sit dog. So uh, let's just say that's what happened. Well, okay, prior to uh, that incident, prior to that exercise, stopping and standing to that dog, or, or prior to the dog learning how to, sorry, I had to back up. Prior to the dog learning how to smell and react to target odor, stopping and standing meant nothing to the dog. The dog had to learn that stopping and standing meant something, right? So in prior exercises, to to build in a cue to the dog, 
the dog would have had to have detected the correct target odor. The handler would have had to perform the cue by stopping and standing. And then the dog would get rewarded. And then the dog in the context would learn, okay, well, the odor plus or in the observance of the standing, stopping and standing, then means the toy's about to come. And then in the absence of odor, if I see him stop and stand, well, the toy's about to come. And, and thus, I'm getting there. So, so what I'm getting at is, is in the first scenario, we would mark that one instance where the dog did that at no target odor is incorrect. But wouldn't the 50 or so exercises prior to that that taught the dog to look for the stopping and standing also be incorrect because the process in which the training and conditioning was done was done incorrectly. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So which, how do you then say your accuracy in training can be calculated accurately? Because the process that you've done it was incorrect to teach the dog cue. Yeah. So generally the day that the day that you decide you're going to mark the dog down for finding something wrong, that's been a process that's been going on for quite a while. You just haven't realized whether it's a cue or you introduced an odor that you didn't mean to or something. So what you're saying is that the day that you start saying it was bad isn't the day that it really started being bad. It was probably looking back through several, several training repetitions. Exactly. Exactly. And then now what do you do with your records? Because now how do you go back yeah, and say which yeah, ones were incorrect exactly. and which ones weren't? Because all you've been looking for is did the dog find it or didn't he? Was he able to clear the room or wasn't he? And that goes back to the difference between testing and, and training. training. Exactly. And that kind of kind of brings us kind of full circle on all of that, doesn't it? I mean, it's uh, goes back to double blind odor or double blind uh, training isn't testing. It goes back to testing and training. So it, exactly. It, it, it's, it really ties together well so that you, you really kind of see the point of why it's, you know, why it's there. You really, you want to make sure testing is testing and training is training. Make sure your training has a goal and a purpose of what it is you're trying to do and focus in on the process of how you're training. So you're training correctly. You are training the dog and the handler to perform correctly. The handler not to influence the dog in any way, the dog to react independently to the odor in the proper mechanism. And and do that with with reliability and do that with consistency and being able to show that in your training records. Not just a checkbox, not just a number, not just some statistical analysis, but actually doing all of the right things that need to be done to condition the dog correctly. And the same thing with testing then. It's a test. Show that the dog did it correctly in the test and the handler did it correctly. And if test. you're looking for ways to maybe, you know, look at, at, at like testing a certain area, for instance, we've talked you know, a little bit about cueing here tonight. Um, like the point to point exercise that, that, you know, that we do when we do a three day seminar, um, that'll show how, how much influence you're giving the dog, you know, as, as you walk by the fence, the dog hits the odor, you keep moving, the dog starts following you. So it's an easy way to, to start showing without, without having to set up a big scenario, it's an easy way to, to show something that you want to train on. So my point is that you can, you can challenge the dog by doing some modular training that goes back to the beginning of your training and just see where you're at without having to set up a elaborate scenario to see, are, am I cueing or not? Because most of us do some type of cueing inadvertently, and that's just an easy way to not only see, is it a problem right now, but then also to get the dog back to being more obedient to the odor. So I use that as just an example that 
this isn't a, it's not a super complicated thing. It's just a way of, of, um, looking at what is today when we get the dogs out of the car, are we testing or are we training? And most of the time we should be training, not testing. And when we're training, what is, what is the goal today? And maybe break it down in almost a modular fashion is how I kind of like to do it that, you know, we're going to work on maybe some basics here today. Yeah. I, I, I give the example and I stole this from, from an old friend of mine that, that, uh, training, working with a dog and training to do anything, uh, is always training the basics. So, um, baseball teams, I like baseball. So baseball teams rarely go out on a practice and play a full game. They do occasionally, but most of the practices they go out and they absolutely work on the basics you know, running bases, fielding ground balls, fly balls, batting, pitching, all the basics and broken down into individual components, how to turn a double play, all that kind of stuff. And then they piece all of those components together into playing the game. So there's nothing wrong with setting up a training training day that breaks down those basics, that breaks down to make sure that the handler, the dog, and everybody is doing the basic things that are that are necessary for the dog and the handler to perform together as a team doing it well and then putting all those together to make sure it all works like it's supposed to and you were explaining that fence line is a really good way of just separating something out to see if there's some giant cue or something else that could be going on and and if you think hard enough as uh, you guys out there listening you can come up with other things that can do that can can do the same and, and you train a large group of dogs down there for your agency. So say a day that you're going to do some basic training. Um, everybody does that, right? It's not like you're going to say just a few of the dogs do the basic and you guys have been around for a long time. So you oh, we'll wait till we do, do a scenario, right? I mean, everybody. No. Everybody, no, everybody does. Everybody, exactly. Yeah, everybody does it because it's as all of, uh, all of us know that are listening and talking about this on this podcast dogs learn progressively, which means you don't train it today and it works perfectly for the next five years. Every day you get it out, every day that you use it, every day that you train, if you don't train correctly, you're conditioning some kind of potentially unwanted reaction or something that you don't want to train. So you have to make sure you stay on top of it and working it, even though you could be a handler for 20 years, um, you still need to make sure that you do the basics the way you're supposed to do. Yeah. And And, go go uh, back to your baseball analogy, the, the best player on the team, they're usually the ones who are out there doing those basic, basic drills with the most gusto and paying the most attention to them and, and working them the hardest. So they go hand in hand. Exactly, exactly. And they're looking at all the little details to make sure everything's done correctly. They're not just looking at the big picture of whether it was found or whether it wasn't found. They're making sure the process that got to it, not whether they hit the ball or whether they didn't hit the ball, but, you know, was their stance correct? Were they seeing the pitch come out of the pitcher's hand? Were they watching the rotations? You know, things like that to whether they they actually are doing things, all those basics to make sure it all ties together. So, so that's, you know, we have a class that we're going to do at hits that, uh, that we, Jeff and I have talked about quite a bit and that we'll, we'll put on there. That's going to walk through various things to do on training days. And we're going to give perspective of how the trainer should work and what the handler should be doing and different ideas of way to, ways to do things. We've talked about a few of them here on the podcast. So at hits, you're going to have, we'll have a class that'll go into that at, at some length. So you'll get more of it there when you come to it. Yep. And that'll be in uh, July of 2021. We'll be in uh, Phoenix slash Scottsdale, but, but same city, basically 
beautiful resort. So July of 2021, we got hits. Uh, go to hitscanine.net for the information on hits 2021. And uh, I think we'll wrap this up, Andy. We, we went a bit long, but I think uh, these are really, you know, we just talked about basics and some of this is kind of basics, but it's always good to, to kind of refresh that. So I know you get these questions a lot. So hopefully this uh, uh, provides a little bit of clarity to some of the listeners. And uh, if, if uh, uh, you guys like this type of stuff, let us know. We can always come up with other subjects. Just email me and we'll, we'll cover anything between just our company and our contacts. We have, a you know, a lot of... Uh, different expertise. So if you've got questions out there, email me uh, in the show notes. The, I'll have my email and Andy's email. Mine's jeff at hitscanine.net. So reach out to us anytime and uh, we're happy to answer questions, come up with any shows to clear up any items uh, that you guys want to talk about. And always uh, look forward to seeing everybody in uh, July. So hitscanine.net for all that information. So Andy, I appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you real soon. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come to HITS 2021. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2021 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2021 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffles and gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there and we've been there too.